Welcome to Blacklisted Marks. I am Nick Stumphauser. I am Spencer Field. And we are returning today to discuss part two of personal identity, objective truth, qual qualitative versus quantitative truth. Easy topics. Easy, easy topics. Easy, easy uh, listening, kind of like smooth jazz. Right. Personal identity. Transgenderism. All easy. Yeah. Yeah. If, if. What we're talking about is the equivalent of smooth jazz. What would the hard, <laughs> what would the hard rock conversation look like? I, probably something to do with like ontology or something like that. Which I guess I we're kind of in that world. So define ontology. Uh, the study of being, what it means to be. Huh. Yeah, that's above my pay grade. Let's uh, <laughs> let's return to. Uh, I believe we we left off last episode. I had a contention. Uh, with you, I feel like you had another contention. I, I had another. There's contention usually with a few you. contentions on the table. Yeah, so a few things we're gonna we're gonna talk about today. I feel like maybe if I prep the listener with a hook, you know, right. something that they know they're gonna get into, that they'll listen to the. You whole... know, I'm not the video guy here, but my experience of hooks is they come before the introduction. Not after the introduction. So maybe we're taking a postmodern interpretation <laughs> of how hooks no, are used. No, no, no. Hooks can be, hooks can be, hook, quote unquote, themes. Well, actually, no. No, I think you're right. Because there I, has to be something to hook, and there's no way to hook at this point. Yeah, okay. Okay, so it would be hook first, which we missed. Okay. Uh, this would be page five. This is theme stated. All right, we're good. We're stating the theme. All right. Um, Let's state a theme. So today we're going to discuss uh, Nick's contention with Spencer's distinction between qualitative and quantitative truth. I'm going to do my best to not rehash the entire four hours of Sam Harris versus Jordan Peterson podcasts. Should have listened to that. Really should have listened to yeah, that. Yeah, you really should have. Uh, and we're going to talk about Nick's bad trip on cannabis, both of them, and how uh, that affects his perception of personal identity. And uh, I want to hear Spencer's thoughts on that. And given that he's never... Uh, touched marijuana in his life not even uh, smelled it not even smelled it um i i don't know that he'll be of much assistance in assuaging my fears but uh we'll see how that goes um so to start would you like to please recapitulate what is your perceived difference between qualitative and quantitative truth sure so when i look at the world around me um i see that there are statements which are true like there are two people currently sitting at this dining room table there, there are not more than two people there are not less than two people there are only two people and this would be a quantitative truth and it usually has to do with some numerical measurement um a way to further understand this is when you look at research if you're doing a research paper or academic research you have quantitative research which is you know how much did their blood pressure increase how much did their eyes dilate what could we see about their micronutrient levels in their blood all of those you can boil down into really easy numbers um, or relatively straightforward at least and say here is a clear quantitative measurement of a part of reality at this time at this place and in this way okay so it'd be kind of the first half now and most people agree with that um, perspective. That's not too disruptive. Most people um, view truth in that way. And most people's understanding of truth also ends there as yeah. well. It doesn't go, go further. I, I would disagree. I, okay. think, I think a lot of people have – they sort of freight the two. They, they, they conflate qualitative and quantitative truth, and they just don't know that they're doing it. Right. But when if you were to ask somebody to define truth, what do you mean by truth? Yeah. They would give yeah, you the yeah, definition yeah, exactly. of – 
quantity of truth and stop. For sure. So I would say that my definition is more expansive and is uh, has a, a flip side to it. And this, this flip side I would call and others have called qualitative truth. And qualitative truth would be something which is not easily turned into a numerical system and could be something like my favorite flavor of ice cream is, is my favorite go-to example. So I happen to really like chocolate ice cream. So I can say the best ice cream flavor is chocolate ice cream. Well, that's, there's clearly no way to quantitatively prove that. There's no metric you can use. You couldn't do nutritional. You can't do like how much somebody's brain responds. There's no way to, right. to nail that down. But for me, in this time, in this way, that is a fully true statement. And it is only qualitatively true. It is not quantitatively true. So let me ask you this about that then. Would you say that that – so when we, when we have a qualitative truth – I'm sorry, a quantitative truth – um, you know, there is a pint of ice cream in front of you. Sure. There are certain metrics or measurements or ways that we can come to that conclusion that can be repeated and agreed upon by everybody else who seems to operate with the same software in their, in their more or less. Yeah. Um, how do you come to the conclusion of chocolate is the best flavor of ice cream? Great question. So when you're looking at quant or qualitative truth, you're also often using some sort of external measurement device. You're using an agreed upon social construction about what is a pint? How do we measure a pint? Yeah. What tools do we use? What, what sort of outside reference? And so we're using external sources of information to determine what the truth of reality is. When it comes to qualitative truth, not always, but often the source of information is different. Instead of being external, it is internal. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the way to discover what is qualitatively true in the situation is through personal experience, personal interpretation, or dare I say how you feel about something mm -hmm. um, when it comes to it. So two tote, not not totally bifurcated, but certainly yeah. separate um, ways of collecting and interpreting data. Okay, so the data of a qualitative truth would be um, would look something like here are my emotions, here are my life experiences, here's my perspective. That these things are the metrics by which I I come to conclude that chocolate is the best or. Um, abortion is good or bad, or Trump should or shouldn't be president. These are the truths that are qualitative to you specifically. So now you encounter somebody with a qualitative truth. That so, is, but just before I want to nip this in the bud before sure, it, it yeah. becomes part of our, our ongoing conversation. So first, I think those are some of the things which make up qualitative truth. I think there are other things which also make it up. So first, it's not limited to just those items. And what other things might make up the data? Sure. So I think that's um, the date, the data which would often be used in a quantitative argument being this is the effect. This is how many people are hurt or harmed by this. This is how they are hurt or harmed from a qual or quantitative standpoint affect the way we interpret qualitative truth. And the, the opposite is also true. When we look at a quantitative situation, because we're never able to uh, escape our personal perspectives and our personal perspectives are muddled by our qualitative experiences, that those qualitative items often affect what we view as quantitatively true. Not always, there's less in that direction, yeah. um, but there's an effect. So first I just wanna make sure that we don't reduce 
the data inputs to those a few anecdotes that I okay. put forward. That's and, fair. And second, you made, and I know this was totally in passing, yeah. you made a couple of comments like um, Trump shouldn't be president. I think that would be really hard to justify either qualitatively or quantitatively, um, much more so than my favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate. I was, I guess I would just say, like, if you find a staunch Trump supporter, sure. you know, they're... Uh, Please pause while Spencer Let's Russell's his jacket, jacket off. yes. Um, if you shed a skin. If you you know meet a, a staunch Trump supporter and they, you know, are very dogmatic and they truly believe that Trump ought to be president. Sure. Um, most often it's not based on, you know, necessarily polling data or you know facts. economics input. Yeah, nothing like know, that. It's policy. It's yeah. strictly based off of like, I believe that he is the man for the job and like the buck stops there. Sure. So when I when I, the reason why I said that is just because obviously it's not there isn't, you know, peer reviewed binders of scientific data that brought them to that conclusion. Usually. Usually. Yeah. Um but okay, let me let me tie this in uh to the sort of climax of our last podcast, which was when we were discussing uh, transgenderism. And I believe the reason why this distinction that you made between quantitative and qualitative truths is maybe quantitatively there is male and female. There is, you know, XX or XY chromosomes. And, um, you know, this is this is sex, this is gender and whatnot. And we kind of tried to have that discussion in two non-gender studies majors <laughs> sitting in a basement did a great job of that. Um, but then I posed the question. And you want to know how we know we did a great job of that? <laughs> is we got death threats from both sides of the aisle. <laughs> both of them. So we're like, yes, goal we, accomplished. Goal accomplished. Uh, so the, the reason why I think this distinction was brought up is I made the, uh, the I, I asked the question, in what other domain, in what other situation can somebody claim to be that which they are quantitatively or obviously not, and we do not call that a delusion of some sure. sort, which is probably the most loaded sentence that I've ever said on this podcast. I think there may have been some loaded ones in the past, but that, that's, sure. that's it's pretty up high there. up there. It's up there. If you would have heard my vocal squealing at the last time that yeah. we had this conversation, I think there were some more loaded ones, but anyways. And that was when you, you brought up the distinction, you know, well, they might quantitate or yeah, quantitatively be, you know, male or female or, mm -hmm. or whatever. But uh, qualitatively, their internal experience, you cannot devalue because to them it is, you know, it is objectively true within the confines of qualitative truth. And then that's when I started to have a severe contention with you because um, I think that you can't cede that ground because if you do, um, it immediately begins to dismantle the nature of truth itself, whether quantitative or qualitative, whatever you want to say, calling things that are not something that didn't make English, calling things, <laughs> <laughs> calling things, um, something they are not, there we go, uh, can only lead to the, the dismantling of what it, what it means to have truth. It certainly fractures the understanding of truth. I am fully aware of that, that it fractures the understanding of truth. So why have you done it? And I think we may have had this conversation before, is that 
the world that I live in, when I see the world around me most of the time, is made up of fractured truths. When I grew up, I was a very black and white child. Like, it was either black or white, and there was no gray. And if somebody was trying to make gray in a situation, they were the Antichrist right. uh, incarnate. And you can tell by how much gray they were creating around them. Yeah. And I, I have made a total shift in my perspective in that there, there are very rarely... Um, at, like eternally, absolutely true statements with, and I use that word as a former Protestant, which would say that there are universal truths abundant in our world, and they mm -hmm. are absolutely true in all circumstances, right. and always, in all times, to all people. And I would say that I live now with a disrupted sense of what truth is, and mm. I think that that is in more congruent with reality around me than a strong sense of truth. So what I don't want to, and I think I sort of see you, you conflating the two, is oughts and ises. Sure. And I think as a, a Catholic growing up or as a Protestant growing up, these truths are most often oughts. Um, you know, murder is wrong, one ought not murder. Abortion is evil, one ought not get one. Um, and, you know, homosexuality is bad. This is bad. And so these are like truths that are sort of installed in our heads as like just zeros and ones. And uh, then you sort of slam into the real world at some point in your life if you're lucky or unlucky enough. That's, you know, remains to be seen the luck factor in there. But um, and you realize that, oh, you know, the, these moral truths are not as clear cut as we originally thought. But from the 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 truth claim standpoint, the truth value, the currency that we use to sort of exchange these ideas, the idea that something maps onto reality or it doesn't, I think, still holds. So just because, um, you know, you may have grown up with these quote unquote black and white truths like God created the earth or homosexuality is bad or whatever, um, and now you're saying like, okay, maybe it's more complicated than that. You know, what is the meaning of God? Is homosexuality really immoral or, or any of these types of things? That doesn't undermine what it means to have something be true or not true in the sense of, uh, you know, water is by definition two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. You know, that is a quote unquote, to use your language, black and white fact about the world. And there's nothing, you know, qualitative about that. There's nothing, you know, gray area about that. So when you say that, like, there's like a gray area, I don't know that you necessarily mean what you think you mean. Or if you do, I want to know how you can have that quote unquote gray area and still uphold um, this understood meaning of what is something, something that's true. Sure. Uh, so there's kind of two items that you, you put forward there that I think um, need to be addressed individually before answering your question. So the first is, it sounds like your definition of truth would be beliefs which are in conformance with reality or as close as possible. No. Okay. What um, would your definition of truth I, be? I don't think beliefs necessarily okay. come into play. How about statements? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, or, yeah. Statements like I think from a mathematical standpoint, it would be like a, an equation is true if the thing before the equal sign and the thing after the equal sign follow the rules 
that give you the same number. Um, so in the in the in, or like maybe this the, the same uh, truth claim. Um, sure, the same mathematical constructs. Yeah. So in that in that way, I would say like you know your belief about either side of the equation doesn't really matter. It's just does this statement and does reality uh, match up if All we right, play so, by the So I will strike strike the word belief from the record that has been <laughs> stricken. So would you say something along, roughly speaking, truth as true statements are statements which are in conformance with reality around them? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would say that's a pretty, good, that pretty good way to go. Okay. Um, and then how would you define reality? Um, this is where it gets tough, not that it hasn't already, um, because reality always filters through the pinhole of man's perception. Mm -hmm. So I would say reality is, to the best of our knowledge, what we can quantify and describe about the material world. And when you say our, is that as an individual, as a society, as a particular group of people, how would you, what do you mean by our? Just as this collective conscious. Of Western society, of Eastern society? Humans, hum humans as a whole. Humans. Okay. humans as a whole. So um, I think that the scientific method is, uh, ought to be upheld as the, um, the best way to interpret reality, but I will immediately say that reality is beyond that which is known. I think there is reality that we do not know, um, and I think that there is reality that we currently think we know that we've probably misinterpreted. Oh, I am 100. If there's a statement that I have agreed <laughs> with so far, it's that that statement. Okay, yeah. so here now to answer your question, here is my perspective on the matter. Yeah. If there was a way to slip into a privileged perspective, seeing reality as it truly is without personal bias, past experience, interpretation, flawed data, all of those types yeah. of things, then I would say if I could slip into that privileged perspective, then I could define what or quantitative reality is universally and at all times, but the only way which I could ever make statements which I view as absolutely or quantitatively true is if I was in that privileged perspective. Are you sure? Yes, so I, I was having a conversation with a mathematician the other day, Yeah. and we had this conversation, and I found it very frustrating because I could not commit, get him to commit to absolutely any <laughs> statement at all. It was wow. just like slime running through my fingers the entire time. And so one question I said, I was like, okay, I'm going to be very reductionistic here because I have to find some common ground that we can build our conversation off of because right now you're speaking German and I'm speaking English and we're not going yeah. anywhere. Um, would you say that two plus two equals four? Mm -hmm. I was like, I tried to bring this down to like first grade level. <laughs> did did yeah. he say, uh, did he bring up modules? I, no, he said most of the time. And then I yeah. flipped the table. Just absolutely <laughs> flipped the table. Yeah, yeah, because there's a, there's a thing in, um, in, in calc of some sort that, uh, I remember going back and forth with my calc teacher about, and, and there's modules where, like, numbers mean different things, and he was saying, like, 2 mod 2 plus 2 mod 2 equals 5 mod 1. Sure. And I was like, that's a statement that I will never understand. Sure. So, so I was having this conversation, the, the purpose I bring this up is because the mathematician says every time, at least from my understanding, that humans have added two and two, it is equal to four. 
but we have not added it an infinite amount of times in every possible circumstance. Okay. So one time, it might add up to five in the future. And, wow. and I just, I just want to rage quit the entire conversation at this point. I don't think you can do that. Well, and so here's, <laughs> and so this person was a very analytical person, yeah. clearly, and I think after I kind of walked away from that conversation and had time to process this a little bit, I would say that he is right that one, okay, this is going to come back to help me, that one day two plus two might end up equaling five in some weird random way, um, and we don't know that to be 100% deniable because we haven't added up two plus two in every possible circumstance that there is. Now, we can say that it is excruciatingly improbable, just like nigh on impossible. And I believe that st statisticians say when you get to 10 to the 55th um, likelihood yeah. that a, an, an a occurrence will not occur, then you call it impossible for functional math. Because if you did not put that limitation on it, then technically nothing is ever impossible. So I really want to phone a friend here because I, I almost don't even buy into that part where it's like and I think it's probably from my ignorance of, of mathematics because sure. when I hear 2 plus 2 equals 4 and the idea that like maybe one day it won't, they, the statement maybe one day it won't uh, to me says like we're not talking about the same math that we're not playing the same game here. Sure, and that and that I think goes to the point of like, well, what is the game that right. we're playing? Are we talking about the same types of two, or are you talking about a red two and I'm talking about a blue two? Like, yeah. are we playing Uno all of a sudden? So like, <laughs> how does this game work? And I think, and I really hate to do like, I hate it when people do this. So I'm going to try to do it in the most tactful way that I can, okay. and not claim to know more than I do, which I do on a regular basis. Um, so ha have your bullshit button ready. All right, is that when we start looking at. Eh quantum <laughs> physics, now you, now you know, math, that things don't work like they're supposed to work. Like, we have these constructs of reality, which we use to build planes and bridges and go to the space yeah. and explore the universe, and things don't work like they're supposed to work. And all of this, I just say, to show that if I had a privileged perspective and could see reality, quote-unquote, as it actually is, then I would be likely to sign up for the truth is purely qualitative truth. But since I... Qualitative or quantitative? Sorry, quantitative. Good catch. Yeah. Quantitative truth. Um, but since I do not have that privileged perspective, I don't believe that privileged perspective exists. I have to accept a uh, experience and a lifetime yeah. locked inside of my perspective. Right, and that's where you would also probably reject other people who say, like, I've got it. Right, I, yeah. which I do. Now, I can try to use other people's perspectives and try to, like, hyper-triangulate the truth yeah. in the middle somewhere, but at the end of the day, I don't have a privileged perspective, and I just have this, like, hopefully semi-calibrated triangu tri triangulation of what the truth actually is. And so, when, so, let me just finish the yeah. kind of land the plane here. And so, given this understanding of what I see reality around me as, I say, now I must learn to cope and live with this reality, and thus I to be a functional human and to best represent the intricacies of truth around me must bifurcate truth um, into reductionistic understandings of what are happening and have a more expansive definition allowing for the lack of clarity which is caused by not having a privileged perspective. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. 
I need, okay, so I need you to give me an example of something that you think is quantitatively true and something that you think is qualitatively true. Sure. That is a little bit more um, functional than ice cream. Sure. Okay. I don't know. Ice cream's pretty functional. Um, <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> less functional for you. Um, okay. So let's start with the easy one, which would be a quantitative truth. Um, so the quantitative truth might be the law of supply and demand, which... Um, in right. e economic states that the more supply of a product you have, likely um, the, less, the price for that product will be more supply equals a lower price. And the inverse is true um, that if you have a low amount of a product, the price for that will probably be high. Now, that's a general principle and doesn't always hold true because if I have a bunch of buggy whips sitting in my garage, like they're not, I may only have a, a couple hundred of them and there are only maybe you know, a couple hundred new buggy whips left, low, low supply, but there's not a huge demand for buggy whips um, from at least my eBay searching. Editor's note, that's a VW bug for everyone who's not born in 1990. Um, no, actually. A buggy whip is a whip which you'd use to whip a horse, which is attached to a buggy. Where in the hell did you get that example? Right, right here I, in my brain. I hear buggy whip, as in like whip is a car, nope. and buggy like bug. No, it's like a four inch or four foot long flexible rod with probably a four foot long um, piece of cord attached to it so that Got it. you can sit in your, your carriage and whip your horse. Um, to move faster, very well, humane. Please, please continue, sure. Sir Spencer Field from <laughs> Ottery Saint Catchpole. <laughs> I take my top half off to you. <laughs> Have a good morning. All right, so let's move now on to um, a uh, a qualitative truth. Um, so I'm going to use the one which we've been talking about. I understand it's messy, but because we've been talking about it so far, yeah. I think, and that's the understanding the difference between gender and sexuality, and saying, oh, here's a better one. Gender and sexuality, so like I have um, an X and a Y chromosome, which mm -hmm. makes me, from a genetic perspective, from our definition of the word, a male. Like mm -hmm. I meet the definition of a male, I do not meet the definition of a female. So within the perspective of the definition of gender, I am a male, case closed. Like that's how I think you should show up on your passport. Now, yeah. with the flip side of that is now how I identify as um, a human being as a feminine or masculine right. individual. And so let's play that game. Let's just play this game right, that Spencer on his passport, it is male. On his 23andMe, it is male. Sure. You look up in the biology textbook, XY equals male. Yeah. All right. Quantitatively, Spencer is male. Yes. Now, qualitatively, uh, to pl let's play this game, um, you, you know, given your life experience, sure. maybe... Past, tr past trauma. Oh boy! Wow, yeah. good, there, good there, one there. There we go. I just I, finished I, your sentence. No, I, <laughs> I, I ended it. I, I said past ta, which allowed me to change, and then you closed it. So now uh, we're both going down. All right. Well, okay. Uh, so sure, past past trauma or or whatever. That's fine. I I, I own it. You don't have to. Own biological it. experiences, genetic yeah. data, just a, to kind a, of get anything the like other that. side Social of Social experiences, perspective, whatever. Yeah. You internally believe yourself to be. Uh, a female. Sure. Walk me through that. Okay. Um, is that true? Are you a female? Please hold. So <laughs> I think um, I was on a panel recently at Howell High School, um, and this panel was for the Continuing Education Day, which was to teach teachers how to teach the students 
skills which we as employers thought they would actually need to know. Okay. And one of the comments rolling around that was the idea to hold multiple conflicting pieces of information in somebody's head and not break. So most people can only hold one piece of information in their head, and if it conflicts with some other piece of information, the sparks which rub those two things together will just either cause both of them to break or one of them to fall out, and they're unable to hold conflicting pieces of information in their head. So yeah, I think there's a skill which is required to hold conflicting pieces of information in your head. Second, that's but, one. But if sure. you're just holding conflicting pieces of information in your head is different than believing them both to be true. So that's a very important yeah. distinction. No, no, that's a very important yeah. distinction. Yeah. Okay. One is Aristotelian, where Aristotle said, uh, you know, a truly wise man can can internalize or to, to, to um, ingest an idea which he does not believe to be true, respect it, understand it, and still believe it not to be true. Sure. Uh, and then the other is is schizotypal personality, where, where you believe to, or, or perhaps cognitive dissonance would be a, a less... Yeah, extreme. extreme thing to say, yeah. which is to, to believe two opposing, uh, conflicting on the on the most fundamental level ideas in your head simultaneously. Okay, so let's go to the let's pull out some like uh, ancient Greek thought process, and we have the law of non-contradiction, which a cannot be both a and non-a in the same place in the same way at the same time. This right, would be the definition of not the law of non-contradiction. So we're talking about let's go. We'll come back to this gender issue. I just need to hit pause on it to move to a less emotional one here for, <laughs> for a minute. Um, and that's going back to the item of like 2 plus 2 equals 4. So right. I right now am perfectly comfortable saying 2 plus 2 always equals 4 and 2 plus 2 does not always equal 4. And the reason I'm comfortable with fully supporting both of those is that my definition of always in those two statements, well, the same word has two def different definitions. And so, I think, I think your word always means the same. I think you're, you you switched the 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 floppy disk in your brain of what logic system you're going to use to define truth. No, I have both floppy disks running in tandem right now. Um, there there's both two pieces of plastic spinning around in my head. Okay, which could explain some of the mental cause problems <laughs> that I experienced. Um, so. <laughs> So because I use the word always in two different ways, I okay. do not violate the law of non-contradiction because although it is in the same place at the same time, it is not in the same way because the words are different. So those two statements look from the outside to be absolutely identical, but when you understand what those words actually mean, you see that they are not absolutely identical and they're just a little out of phase with one another because I'm using the word always in two different ways. Does that make sense? It does not. Okay. So if you believe or assert, we'll say, because we're not using the word belief, if you assert that two and two always equal four. Yes. It, it, you, how? Great, Okay, so in one sense, I say it always equals four because I look at all of the t my experience with it. I look at everything my math teachers have ever taught me. I but look that's at, not experience. I that's look just... at all of human history, all the knowledge which I have accumulated, and I say two plus two, according to everybody I've ever talked to, always equals four. And every time I plugged into my calculator and my phone, done it on a scrap piece of paper as a first grader, it always equaled four. So all of the data I have says it will equal four. Thus, I will 
fully stand behind the statement two plus two always equals four. So when doesn't it? So then at the same time in my second floppy disk, which is running around in my head, I know that from a understanding of reality, which is more complex and requires higher levels of mathematics, which I won't even begin to say that I understand, um, that two plus two does not always equal four in a hypothetical construct. And so I'm switching the words always in there. Yeah, so I think you're making an error there. Okay. Um, I don't think you actually, and I'm gonna use the word believe, that two plus two always does, does not always equal four. I think what you are trying to say uh, but failing utterly <laughs> is that you leave open the possibility of an instance where two and two do not equal four because you have discussed with a mathematician something that is beyond your understanding. So I appreciate your perspective of Spencer being a hole <laughs> and Nick throwing down the safety ladder, but I take your safety ladder and throw it back up to you and say, no, this I, will, is your chance. I, I will stay in this hole, bury me alive. And, and I, I would say that I would will stand behind, at least for this moment, um, will fully stand behind those two statements that I fully endorse and believe the statement that both two plus two always equals four and two plus two does not always equal four with the understanding that I'm using those phrases in slightly different manners. But how is the word always different? So the first always takes into account a, a cap on, on the infinite. So it says, to use the word always, I do not have to have every possible circumstance figured out. I have to have 10 to the 55th power figured out. You have out. to have a functional, a practical amount of always. I have to have a, 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 yeah, a, a functional, now that that is not a privileged perspective that's saying, I reject the idea that there is a privileged perspective which sees it differently than my own. I kind of cross that possibility out and say, just can't live with that. I, it's not, I can't live my life around that. And I choose to ignore that possibility and move on, which is what every engineer does ever. An engineer could not build a bridge or construct a plane or make a skyscraper or create a micro uh, machine if he didn't accept that presupposition that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And that when I'm looking at that second side of it, floppy disk number 2, I'm saying always is in the infinite sense of the word. Without cap, it goes past 10 to the 55th power and says that it must in absolutely every circumstance, in every way possibly imaginable from time immemorium to time immemorium, mm. always add up to four. So I see again, I, I see more clearly where uh, I have a, a huge problem with that. Sure. The first instance is, uh, I really hope I can articulate this well. The first instance is, uh, you playing by the rules of, of logic and and the rules that not just that we agree upon but that continue to manifest themselves as true in reality uh, in all of the ways that something can manifest itself to be true uh, just just operationally um, so if you have two water bottles and then you add two more water bottles to it it will never be five in the understanding of what we mean by five. In floppy disk number one. In floppy disk, sure, sure. whatever. Um, that is that is a, a, a game with, with rules that are sustained and constantly reproven by 
our our collision with reality. Yeah, ours and others. Ours and others. And, and, and you know, whether you are in Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or North Korea or Russia or the South Pole, that game will still be played by the same rules. What I see you doing with floppy disk number two is I think you're making a grave error in that you're saying because we have not yet had an experience with reality that would disprove this, I must leave this caveat open or I must uh, make a, it, it's the thing I can equate it to is, is like, you can't prove a negative. So I can't prove to you that the tooth fairy does not exist. But in the same way that I can't prove it to you, I also would never say that the truth, tooth fairy does exist. My constant interaction with reality says it doesn't. You know, I could spend my entire life looking for the tooth fairy, and so could every other human on planet Earth. And we could just source all of, all of our knowledge and all of our resources to try and find the tooth fairy and keep not coming up with it. But I see your floppy disk number two is saying the tooth fairy exists and floppy disk number one saying the tooth fairy does not exist. And you're just leaving floppy disk two open because you're saying we have not yet experienced this aspect of reality. And I think that is a, a grave error because you can do that with a functionally infinite number of truth claims that floppy disk number one we agree on. Um, there is one pint of ice cream. Okay, well floppy disk number two says at some point in time we might melt and re-pour this quantity of ice cream and it might equal a liter instead of a pint. And it's like, sure, maybe. It could, yeah. yeah. But just because you can't, I mean, you could pour it an infinite number of times and, and until you do so, you don't know that. I think you are not, your definition of truth on floppy disk number two isn't actually quote unquote true. I think it's, it's a vacuum that you are just giving a name to a possibility. Nick, you're a really good friend. You've thrown so many ropes down this hole, and, and I have constantly... Don't do this, Spencer. <laughs> do not do this. Grabbed them in my right hand, no. shaking it at you, and flung the rope back up in your face saying, No! I will stay in this hole. I am acting like a two-year-old today. This is my hole. I will stay in this hole, and so help you if you try to take me out of this. I will pitch and scream and cause an aisle, a, a huge problem right in the middle of aisle three in Kroger. Like, this is, <sighs> this is I'm staying here. Audience, uh, help me. <laughs> audience help most of them are banging their their heads against the wall like why is he doing this he's obviously emotionally attached to this so yes i think that you you have further dip doving in to what i'm trying to portray and i would say that one item which explicitly stands out to me is that in floppy disk number two i'm allowing the possibility to be to exist and by allowing that possibility to exist, I almost have corrupted the definition of truth. I don't even think you're using it. Sure. Okay. So I have fully corrupted the definition of truth. <laughs> I would say that if this were just, yeah, you'll, you'll have a lot of fun with this one. Oh, good. If I were to say which one of those statements is two plus two always equals four or two plus two does not always equal four is more true. I would say that 2 plus 2 does not always equal 4 is more true 
than the first one because it allows for, it has space to move. So if that possibility was to happen, if I was to suddenly pull out two water bottles and add two more and then somehow a fifth one was there as well, I would say that the second definition is actually more expansive and allows for a better understanding of reality as we know it today. Okay, so how much math have you taken? Uh, as far as like courses yeah. goes, I did uh, I, high school algebra, one, two, geometry, calculus, and then in college I took advanced mathematics and then a couple statistics courses. Okay, good. So you're a little bit more advanced than me on this. Uh, hopefully we can... I can explain this in a way that we can speak the same language here. So when you said that st statisticians will uh, claim something impossible if one out of I don't remember the exact one number, times yeah. ten to the fifty fifth ish, like yeah, um, it, it give or take a hundred million. Yeah, it doesn't happen that it is. You can label it functionally impossible. Sure, everything else before that would be improbable. Everything else after that would be impossible. Uh, we have run those tests with two and two and four and with pints and with anything else you could possibly do. Hundreds of thousands. Yes. And yes. just look at all the computer processing we have. It yeah, looks like exactly. even more. Yeah. Billions yeah. and trillions and tens of trillions. You could, you, could say, you could say that we have almost hit that 10 to the 55th if all the computers in the world are playing by the same rules, the sure. same logic. And it keeps coming up with the same answer. Every time, over Every and over and over. Okay. You know, there there is yet to be a computer that all of a sudden, like, we type two and two is four, and it gets five, and... It was right. Yeah, it was right. Like, we, we that never occurred. Um, from a... Just from, like, a, a mathematical, from a number standpoint, from a quantitative standpoint, your definition of truth on floppy disk number two... Your idea that you leave it open for that possibility, you're actually leaving it open for an infinitesimal one out of one hundreds of trillions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. that for, at least from a quantitative standpoint, you cannot possibly say that that is more true. Oh yes, I can. All oh yes, true. I can. How? Because <laughs> I'm about ready to end this podcast right here. I can't even Nick's get to the table. Nick's I can't even get to the scientific <laughs> method. Oh God! Nick's gonna flip the table today. I feel vindicated. Uh, I'm not the only one who wants the table flip this uh. So, Spencer, we have eight minutes. Save my life, please. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. Um, That's only something you can do. Okay. So when... All right, let's go back to what our definition of... Your definition of truth is, which would be a statement which is in conformance with reality. Yeah, yeah. And reality, we both understand, there is no way to directly access reality from an individual's perspective. That each individual has a flawed perspective that there's probably no privileged perspective to so do. So actually, let me let me confront that because okay. I've been holding on. I've been sitting on this for twenty five minutes. That's gonna be uncomfortable. This, yeah, and this is something I've been wanting to say. What if we exported this privileged perspective to a system of logic? Okay, mm. so if we if we were to say that like each individual person can use logic, like one might use a hammer or drive a car, but we uh, do not have this quote-unquote privileged perspective in that we are not objective. What if we export that responsibility, export that privilege to a system, to an algorithmic system, perhaps something like the scientific method? 
that is uh, self-purifying and separate from uh, subjectivity. Do you think that that would be suitable to have a quote-unquote privileged perspective so that if we if we take a question in the top, throw it in, and it chunks on it and blends it up and shits out something at the end, that everyone can kind of gather around and look at it and say, that is a truth. So a grand unified theory. No, just a really damn good algorithm that continues to map things onto reality reliably. So um, I think oftentimes that would be called a unif you know, a grand unified theory, which sure. you, which you plug in enough data and you can project whatever the outcome was. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to get Laplacian or deterministic okay, here, but well, but yes, I, I will. Sure. Don't we just start all of our podcasts? We do. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's just be honest with that. Um, so <laughs> according I, to the determinist perspective, I've already lost this argument and Spencer's already, <laughs> already rejected all of my safety ropes. So. <laughs> Burn them up. Uh, so I would say that if such a structure existed, which I don't believe that it does, then I would be willing to submit my beliefs to said structure once I was convinced that said structure would work. So you don't think the scientific method is sound enough? No. Really? Yes. So you're saying that the the conclusions... And, and, and by... here's a, why, very briefly. Okay. We have Einsteinian physics and we have Newtonian physics, and they contradict each other, but both of them work. Yes, but the scientific method yielded both, and they work in each domain. And the scientific method yielded two self-contradictory items, which are both true. No, they're not contradictory. In, Nicholas. No, they're not contradictory because they work in different domains. They work in the macro and the micro. So but, you can't say you can't say that the that quantum physics, that Newtonian quantum physics. I'm sorry, that would be Einsteinian um, quantum physics. Uh, applies it doesn't apply you're talking about two different things so i would agree with you that when you build a bridge versus when you fire a quark you're talking about two different things yeah but i would also say that when you start to talk to physicists there's this mix in the middle where both of them hold true depending on how you run the experiment so you're talking about something like the so your double slit experiment, double experiment and if you do if, so you can run items through i think the largest one which has been run through is like something like 316 atoms or something like that Sure, but that's that's still a question of quantum versus macro. Ah, I don't think it's a question of versus is the problem. Well, I'm saying that they're two different domains. Mm, so no. I, I'm, we're talking about we're talking about uh, biology versus uh, engineering. Sure. So I would say that they're not two different domains, and they're actually one in the same domain, just experienced differently. So these are, these are, there's no point at which you like move from a system which like, oh, once you hit 517 atoms, you can shut the system off. Why and not? This, because physicists say that it doesn't exist. Like we have this huge grit, not huge. We have this existing gray area between these two perspectives. Which, I don't think we do. I'm sure that if you talk to physicists and you ask them at what point do you, you gather enough mass that this starts to act Einsteinian? Or uh, Newtonian, and when does it start? Because obviously, there's a difference between a planet and a quark. Sure. And then you can, you know, narrow that down from like a, a house to maybe a car, three, a car, yeah, like a car three atoms, yeah, and a bottle of water, like bottle water, yeah. and thimble. Yeah. And you can keep going, and then obviously, you're going to meet in the middle at some point where that transitions. It's as obvious as you think it is. I mean, there there might be a transitional period, but even then, like the the discussion of physics from from it, like the physics book that talks about planetary motion and the physics book that talks about the double slit experiment 
are both true and they also don't make claims that disagree with each other because there's no claim in quantum physics that refutes or denies the truth of why the earth orbits the sun well except that all particles are actually waves and then when we look at the way which the way the earth orbits the sun we say well if this was waves we don't think this would work but it works if we use particles so how does how do those two things go together i, I think i do want to like say that i don't know enough about quantum physics so i'd like to steer the train out of quantum yeah. physics world so i stop looking like a total and complete idiot because i don't know enough to really you checked it. your ego far before i would and i appreciate sure. it so i'll just hop on the the train of the caboose okay and hopefully you won't notice me gotcha all right so now we're out of the station we're back spencer i just want to talk about transgenderism <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> this is really simple. We just had to talk about. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to sit down and say, Nick, I've considered your perspective over the last two weeks and found it to be true. I was in error. I apologize. Let's move on. Sorry, it's not going to happen. No, I don't think it will. So I don't even think we can talk about uh, any hot button blacklisted remarks issue like, you know, abortion. You've been listening to blacklisted remarks since <laughs> the last podcast you're like, here. <laughs> Well, until we, until, and we find ourselves in, in a remarkably similar position to Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, even though we, we have been approaching this differently. And so that's something that I think it'd be really interesting if you went and listened to the two podcasts, or at least just the first one. Um, but you'll, I think you'll be too entranced by their, their conundrum to not listen to the second one where they, they come back and they hash it out again. Um, I think I have listened to the first one and i got so frustrated at sam harris's lack of understanding really that i i flipped wow. i could have been listening to a different podcast but there's certainly one where sam, sam was in a debate i was like oh come on come on just you got, you got ah. no 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 it okay. was um I'll listen to it again maybe i was listening to it yeah again. this is definitely the you might have been listening to one with somebody else but definitely the one with jordan peterson and and they they talk about about truth and peterson begins to uh make the he he, he brings things up like um, Darwinism and how something it's true until it kills people. And so he says like, um, think things like, uh, this statement would be true unless a million years from now it causes the extinction of all of humanity. Then it, he says it wasn't true yeah, enough. Yeah. So I would, I have heard that at least snippet and I would not agree with him on that snippet. Yeah. So we're, we're hitting a, an impasse again. But it's a different impasse where you're saying – for our listeners, because we're not going to be able to finish this right now. <laughs> for our listeners, uh, can you sum up in a sentence or two how you think we are disagreeing? And I'll see if I agree with you. Um, yeah. Let me – so I would – yeah. I could do it maybe in a paragraph but definitely not in a sentence or two. Okay. So Spencer holds the belief that there are different types of truth. And that truth has an element of relativity to it, um, which extends beyond the typical amount of relativity within that statement. Nick holds a separate belief that truth is, by definition, in conformance with reality, which is understood by him or understood by the, the common consensus of humans um, around him and limits, functionally so, the potential deviations from that reality and that the conflict occurs between Spencer's hyperinflationistic understanding of truth 
and what I would see as Nick's reductionistic mm. understanding of truth. Yeah. Your turn. Let's see if I can take a crack at this and see if you see if you agree. Um, I just I simply think that when you when you leave space for the possibility of a contradiction, that does not make it true. The example being two and two equals four, you're saying unless it doesn't, and because there's a chance it might not, even though that chance is infinitesimal, infinitesimal, I I agree, that it is also true that, okay, actually, let me, maybe I'll ask this question, and if you can answer it quickly, great, if not, we'll, we'll, this will be our our segue into the episode 13 or 14, wherever we're on. Um, wouldn't it be simpler to just say that two plus two does not always equal four because that does encompass the truth that it does sometimes, but you're saying you're, but you're still leaving it open to the time that it doesn't. Why not just say that? Two plus two does not always always equal equal four. four because within that statement, there is all of the truths where it does. But you're also leaving it open to that one time that it doesn't. Mm. So, <laughs> go and going back to floppy disk one and floppy disk two quickly. Remember that the, the definition of always there are two different definitions, and that that statement you just made only encompasses one of the definitions of always. So. I think I unified it. No, I don't think you did. How Be- did I not? Because unify the it? first statement is that two plus two always equals four. So, so first statement: there is not an instance where it does not. There is not an instance where it does not. Right. You're saying that this in the second where 2 plus 2 does not always equal 4. That there is an instance which it does. Right. If you can bring those two together, I, you will be a true magician. I think I think I, I think I did, though. If you say 2 plus 2 does not always equal 4. Sure. That you, contradicts the first floppy disk. Ah, damn. Okay. Damn. Yeah, this just seems irreconcilable. Wow. Um, I need to, I need to sit on this. I'm going to update to uh, an SSD, <laughs> run Linux, and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my, I don't have any physicist friends, but I'm going to talk to my calc friend, uh, calc teacher, and I'm ask him. to the thrift store and see if I can find a computer from 1995. There you go. To plot my floppy disks in. Yeah. And see if it, if it runs. Damn, this is this is a disconcerting episode of Blacklisted Remarks, and I say that uh, after like eleven or twelve other relatively disconcerting yeah. episodes. Yeah, interesting. I, where do you think we're gonna pick up next time? Um, do you think I, we should pick up this debate or try and approach it in, in a different angle? I think you should go talk to to your uh, calculus friends, and yeah. I should go listen to the debates. And we open up with a, a five-minute synopsis of what we learned and what we agree or disagree okay. with. Okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. To the audience members that have listened through all 55 minutes of this. <laughs> like there are any. Yeah, if there were, uh, let us know. Reach out uh, to us in the comments. Uh, we post this on YouTube. Um, let us know what you think, um, who's right and why, and are we missing a giant elephant in the room and just ignoring its trumpeting calls? Or, or just like a couple of giant elephants in just about every corner yeah. of the room. Yeah. 
Well, that uh, that concludes this episode of Blacklisted Remarks. I am Nick Stumphauser. I am Spencer Field. Signing off with confusion.